0: Welcome to Diverse, the podcast of the Society of Women Engineers. SWE is a catalyst for change in the engineering industry, and one of the biggest ways we inspire that change is through our annual SWE Conference for Women Engineers and Technologists. This year's conference, WE21 in Indianapolis, Indiana, will help attendees at all ages and stages learn, connect, and grow. Join us for three days of networking and relationship building, over 250 professional development sessions, three inspirational keynotes, and a career fair featuring more than 300 exhibitors. Let's aspire to inspire at WE21, October 21st through the 23rd. Head to we21.swe.org for more info and to register.
1: Hello, I'm Karen Hording, Executive Director and CEO of the Society of Women Engineers. Welcome to SWE's Diverse Podcast Series. Please remember to add this podcast to your iTunes and like or follow us on social media. Visit swe.org for more details. I'm excited to be joined today by Sarah Echohawk. Sarah is CEO of ACES, which is the American Indian Science and Engineering Society. Sarah is a citizen of the Pawnee Nation of Oklahoma and has been working on behalf of Indigenous people for over 20 years. She has been in the chief executive role at ACES since 2013. And prior to joining ACES, Sarah was the executive vice president of First Nations Development Institute, a national nonprofit organization with a focus on economic development for Indigenous people. In addition, She serves on several boards and committees for multiple organizations and initiatives, including the American Indian Policy Institute, Last Mile Education Fund, National Girls Collaborative, Native Americans in Philanthropy, Native Ways Federation, Red Feather Development Group, and Women of Color in Computing Research. She is also a member of the Ad Hoc Committee at the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine. For a project addressing the underrepresentation of women of color in tech and serves as PI, co PI on multiple National Science Foundation grant funded projects. Sarah, it's such a pleasure to have you here today. I've gotten to know Sarah well over her tenure at ACES. We serve together on some grants, including the 50K Coalition and Engineering Plus. So, welcome today to our diverse podcast. Thanks so
2: much, Karen. I really appreciate the invitation, especially given that it's Native American Heritage Month, so I'm happy to be here.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure you had many, many invitations given that it is Native American Heritage Month, so thank you so much for being here with us. Oh yes, certainly. So let's start off, maybe you can tell us a little bit about some of the challenges facing First Nation and Indigenous peoples when it comes to college and STEM in particular.
2: Sure, and yes, and that's exactly right. One of the reasons that ACEs exists. So our population, while we're just under 3% of the population in terms of our representation in the STEM workforce is much lower than that. And I was looking at some recent data as a matter of fact in a lot of these corporations and federal agencies and we see uh, figures as low as like 0.3, you know, 0.3 maybe getting up close to 1%. So we really struggle for that parity in terms of our representation in the STEM workforce. And then in terms of education in the K through 12, we see that about half of our students don't get the math and science courses they need to be prepared to go into a STEM major. So by the time they get into college, if they want to undertake a STEM major, they're not prepared. So they would have to take prerequisites which of course involves time and money and that's something that our students typically don't have. So we see them at that point opting out of a STEM major and going into another field. So we really need to be working right to to improve that. The other part of that is that in terms of graduation rates, Um, Sadly enough, between 2016 and 2018, we actually saw the number of science and engineering degrees for indigenous peoples and in North America and the Pacific Islands as well, which is the other population we serve, actually decline. So we know that we, you know, according to that recent data, that we're actually going in the wrong direction. And a lot of that has to do, again, we feel like, in looking at what, looking at our communities and the educational system is that in that, again, in K through 12, our students aren't getting the preparation that they need to have. And so that is really limiting them as they look to go on into higher education.
1: Yeah, those numbers are kind of staggering. So for those listening today who may be at colleges and universities or working in the business community, what can they do to be more supportive of First Nation and Indigenous peoples? particularly maybe at that K through 12 where that preparation is so critical?
2: Right. Well, certainly partnerships, and you know, this is ACES approach, uh, partnerships with corporations and federal agencies, colleges and universities, one for, if we're talking about higher ed at the colleges and universities, it's certainly being supportive of indigenous students. And if there's not a Native American or indigenous student services to definitely at least be considering that and to ensure that there are clubs, including ACEs, right? ACEs chapters on their campus and being supportive of that. For uh, corporations, federal agencies and employers, what we recommend and what we often like to do is help them partner with schools. We have about uh, 220 K through 12 affiliated schools that we work with. That's about 55,000 indigenous students. So we like our partners, we connect them with those schools to come in and work directly with those populations. So for instance, one of our major partners came in last summer and did some summer camp work with one of our partners at Gila River, which is in Arizona, but it's a tribal community and did some work there with the tribal school. So going in and supporting those schools directly, working with the students and teachers, providing them resources around STEM and around what is possible in terms of opportunity is one of the ways that from an institutional standpoint anyway that we can see that that support the other thing is you know individually for companies federal agencies colleges universities people that want to individually get involved of course then i'm going to say joining aces is a way to do that we have a lot of ways to get connected with these communities through volunteer work and becoming a member of ACEs and attending ACEs events and really networking within our community. And I don't think that a lot of people know that ACEs is open to members, uh, membership is open to anyone, not just Native people in the STEM fields. And so we're really looking to build that base. And the other thing that I have to connect this to is to say, one of the toughest challenges that we face as a population as a whole is our visibility. And in fact, we feel like often we are invisible. And so while we're the first Americans, often we're left out of these conversations around racial equity and uh, far too often listed in the other category if there's any data at all about us. So we look for allies and advocates to help raise our visibility. And certainly like the Society of Women Engineers and partnering with you has done that, right? It has helped us elevate our visibility within the sector, and that's been tremendously helpful. So we need as many advocates as we can.
1: So Sarah, you mentioned the allyship piece, and so this is where I'd really like to put in a plug. We've had a joint membership with ACES for a number of years, and so I would encourage any SWE member who is looking to become an ally that when you join or renew your membership to check off that joint membership box for ACES, because that's a great way to be supportive of the community. Absolutely. It's just one of the many ways we partner, but I, I think your point about being allies is something we want to continue to talk about and make sure that everyone who can be an ally for the community is an ally.
2: Absolutely, I agree. And that would be tremendously helpful. Again, you know, they say strength is in numbers, and I think that's where often, because we fall short in terms of our population being smaller, Again, it's very easy, I think, for us to be overlooked. And so allyship is absolutely critical for us.
1: And you mentioned your collegiate and professional chapters. So if someone is working on a campus where there isn't an ACES chapter, how do they go about supporting getting one started?
2: Right. Well, certainly it'll be whatever. you know whatever the requirements are at the, at the college or university in terms of creating any kind of a student club or organization, but we can help with that. And simply going to the website aces.org and going to the membership section there will give you all of the information as well as contact information if you want to talk to someone directly about setting up a chapter. And that would be for the K through 12 affiliate chapters, college chapters, the professional chapters, or um, now we even have tribally charted chapters.
1: Okay, so a lot of different opportunities, it sounds yes, like. Yes, absolutely. Okay, great. Absolutely. Well, when, we, when I did the introduction, I listed a number of the boards you are on, and I know there are other organizations where you serve in an advisory capacity. So how do you think serving on these boards helps minority women further their goals and champion the causes they support?
2: Right. Well, I'm definitely a big advocate for board service, and I I really push that with our staff as well, and anybody who is looking for professional development. So not only does it help you as a professional, um, and in this case for me, like a professional Indigenous woman, you know, develop along my career, but also it raises, I think, then the visibility of our population as well. Right, as you're serving on these boards, you can bring your issues into the spotlight, and again because that is one of our biggest challenges is simply just visibility. So these boards that I serve on, most of them are focused on indigenous peoples, but I also serve on a number of projects and boards that are not native or indigenous specific. And that's also where I really recommend indigenous peoples or again, allies to serve on those boards to, again, bring recognition and visibility to our communities and around our issues. We certainly see that uh, in philanthropy and in corporate boards. there is a, There are very, very few Indigenous peoples um, that are serving on those boards. And so it's, it's interesting because a lot of the organizations that I serve on those boards, the goal is to try to get more Indigenous peoples onto those more visible boards and those more quote unquote mainstream boards and corporations Mm -hmm. and mainstream philanthropy. Again, for us, our biggest challenge is visibility.
1: Yeah. We don't want to be hidden figures any longer, Mm -hmm. correct? Yeah. Well, one one of the things I was going to ask you about is, you know, as I mentioned, we have had a formal partnership for a number of years. And so I wanted to talk about maybe your thoughts on ways that we could strengthen that. And then I was going to share a couple of thoughts I had just that have come to mind from our conversation today.
2: Well, for me, for for the relationship between SWE and Aces, you know, I think the thing that brought us together would would have been the 50K coalition, which of course we still participate in, right? To graduate 50,000 diverse engineers by 2025. Oh, no. Now I got to back that up. Is it 2025, Karen?
1: (laughs) Yes, it is 2025.
2: Let's take a break. Right. Three seconds. Yep. So in talking about the relationship between SWE and ACEs, I think back to how we originally connected, which was through the 50K Coalition, along with the National Society for Black Engineers and the Society for Hispanic Professional Engineers, with the goal to graduate 50,000 diverse engineers by 2025. And that project really, I think, is an excellent example of a way that organizations like ours, yours, SWE, and ACES, um, and other engineering and STEM organizations that are working on representation can come together and work towards a common goal. And again, you know, I keep saying visibility and strength in numbers. And I think that that's, that is key. And that's one of the reasons that I think that the 50K Coalition has been so successful. So in terms of specifically then how would ACES and SWE continue to partner, I think we've started to do that, right? On in talking about some of these grants and where we overlap. And we've done the same thing with the Society for Hispanic Professional Engineers and National Society for Black Engineers. So I'm actually serving as an advisor on a project for SHIP, which is the Hispanic Engineers. So I think we need to continue to look at opportunities like that between SWE and ACES and where can we work on projects together? going forward. And, you know, as I mentioned, the allyship piece, you know, having more people come and serve or become members of ACEs and start learning about our issues in the DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion space, right? And so the joint membership is one way to do that. And I think we definitely need to continue to push that and grow that. But I would be interested in hearing your thoughts as well.
1: Yeah, so one of the things we touched on is this idea of board service and particularly kind of the mainstream corporate boards. And and that's a big focus for SWE right now as well. Yes. Our fall issue of SWE Magazine, we talked about women on corporate boards. We did a podcast with a couple of our members who are on corporate boards. Um, and we've been actually talking with a couple of organizations who do training and help women position themselves to be selected for these boards. And so I see an opportunity where we can work together for your community and ours to really, you know, let's not only get more women on boards, but let's get more women of color and indigenous women onto boards, because I think we are often overlooked for these Mm -hmm. roles. And I think it's just a matter of training and positioning people to be in places where You know where they their name will come up and where they'll they can actually be considered. So right, um, right, and
2: and that's where change is. That's where you actually can affect change. Right. I mean, we know that we want to get more women and for like you were saying, more women of color into these corporations, and uh, you know certainly as they advance on their career path, be able to you know move up and advance in their career. And we need to have the boards that are making those top level decisions right? Reflect the people that we're trying to serve. And so absolutely, I completely agree. And I think that would be, yeah, that would be an area that I think we should continue to look at and work and work together on.
1: Yep. Excellent. And the other one that comes to mind is you were talking about the challenges in that K through 12 space. Mm. And SWE, you know, since our very beginning has been doing K through 12 outreach and really working to, in our case, get girls you know, to understand careers in engineering, to understand what skills are required, and to kind of do those hands-on things that will help build their confidence back to the see it to be it. And so I think there'd be a real opportunity with our SWE Next program to see how we might support your efforts, whether it be with materials or resources or access to role models and mentors you know, certainly during the pandemic, we've had to pivot to a more virtual experience. But I I think there's some real opportunities there to, you know, to see how we might support your efforts, you know, because 55,000 students, that's a lot of students. And so if we can help support that or even grow that, we would love to do that.
2: I think that would be fantastic. Again, I think that's really where the focus needs to be. And, you know, in the work that I do in the, you know, in the circles that I'm in, there is this issue about uh, men and boys of color in terms of them falling behind and not applying and going to going into um, higher education and completing, you know, bachelor's and master's degrees that women are outpacing them. But of course, we know that that's not true in engineering and computer science, right, which are the fastest growing and, you know, most in-demand jobs. And certainly when we look at indigenous women, the numbers are even smaller. So I agree, we are missing out as a nation on a tremendous opportunity, right, by not pushing and providing resources and support for girls to get into these fields. And I would love to work with Swee on that because, and I'm sure as Swee knows, and as we've learned, if you don't get girls engaged early, you know, it, before middle school, if possible, you know, or at least in middle school, then chances are you're not gonna get them, right? So we really right. do need to be doing that work earlier. And if there are resources and ways that we can work together, that would be phenomenal
1: because- yeah, be- Because to your point, once they get to college, it's almost too late because, exactly. because of the cost. If you haven't had the math and science that you need, it's gonna be really, really difficult to do that once you're on campus.
2: Exactly, exactly. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I know we've worked on some research together. And so that's another thing we would love to do, because I find that the numbers do help us with our work and understanding what the issues are, particularly, you know, what's holding women back in the workforce. You know, our, our researcher has done a lot of work both in the U.S. and outside the U.S. But, but I think that's an area that we could partner on as well, because I think sometimes employers aren't really sure what to do. And so if we have some of the data and we understand what the issues are together, we can help them be more effective in their DEI efforts.
2: Exactly. You know, and I think that's one of the key roles for organizations like SWE and ACES is that we really need to be partnering with employers and providing, they look to us, right? Partnering and providing that data and that information around, okay, so this is what you need to do if you want to attract and retain, you know, for us, it'd be indigenous women and men, and for you, it'd be women. This is, you know, this is the kind of environment that you have to create, and we can back that up with data. But when you look, you know, currently, there's not a lot of information around that. And so, yes, some of these projects that we're starting to engage in, I think are going to be tremendously valuable to employers in terms of, you know, what kind of environment do you have to create so that not only can you make the hire, but can you retain that talent? And how do you continue to support them throughout their career and provide them advancement opportunities? And you know, there just isn't a lot of data out there right now. So I think, yes, absolutely, that is something we need to be doing. And because um, we would love to do more of that.
1: Yep, the recruiting part is the easy part. Right. It's it's the retaining, developing, advancing that proves to be more challenging. So I think anything we could do to help with that together would be great. Because and I think
2: you know to your point what you were talking about in terms of you know trying to look at getting women on corporate boards i mean that again i just think like that's one you know again there's just so many different things that can happen that will make that a better environment and so again i think we're the ones that have to step up and provide that information and that leadership because you don't really see it coming any from anywhere else at least in you know the the space that we work in in these stem fields
1: yeah for sure well, I want to circle back to the allyship because I think sometimes allyship people are are not sure what to do. It can sometimes feel like a little bit of a minefield, right? I don't want to do the wrong thing, so I don't do anything. So for our listeners, how do we be strong allies to the indigenous community particularly in STEM?
2: Well, first overall in terms of the indigenous community and I think is and this is something that, you know, you have to take on yourself. It's hard that you You're not going to find it readily available because certainly we don't get it in our educational system and that is first and foremost i think is learning and understanding the legal and political status of indigenous peoples in the united states and if you're in canada in canada or in the pacific islands our population is often viewed as an ethnic minority you know so when we talk about racial equity and certainly that is true but unlike any other um, ethnic minority uh, native American tribes are nations and so we are sovereign nations within the boundaries of the United States and the relationship between our um, nations and the United States is considered to be a nation to nation relationship. So when you talk to indigenous people and as you introduced me today, Karen, you said, you know, a citizen of the Pawnee Nation. So I have dual citizenship. I hold citizenship in my tribal nation and then I'm a United States citizen. And so when we look at, at indigenous peoples, and if you want to be an ally and you want to work, you know, and and work on our behalf, which of course we welcome, you need to understand our unique status and the fact that we are, it's going to be a little bit of a different approach than it would be with other groups. So first and foremost, I think is understanding that. And you can find that information, but you do have to take it upon yourself to do some research. And then beyond that, and I know I just, I keep saying this, but it's, this is like where we're starting from, literally, we are invisible often. And so we just need people to help step up and say, don't forget indigenous peoples. And an example that I often use is in the 90s, when they were creating the community development financial institution uh, legislation at the federal level, right, for to help underbanked communities get access to capital, the organization that I worked with, would send people to those hearings because literally they would just have to stand up and say, and indigenous people, or, you know, at that time, I think it was American Indian and American Indians and American Indians, like just kept saying that that was the only thing, because they would write this legislation and they would forget. And so we'd have to stand up and say, and American Indians. And that's just, that's our reality is that we're just often overlooked. So just having people that when you're going to, you know, a a convening or a meeting or an event and you notice that you know maybe it's focused on racial equity or women of color and you don't see indigenous or native people on you know on the agenda to point that out yeah and say,
1: and, and you and i have had a couple of those tough conversations exactly. right of yep. um hey you were at something did you think to make sure we were represented and it's right. like no i did not but i'm going to do better <laughs> And 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 I hope I have done better and, and, yeah, we'll, you've and been great <laughs> and and we'll continue to do better, right? Um, yes. But but I you know when you talk about getting educated, I mean I'm seeing a real opportunity maybe to do something for our audience about mm-hmm. some of the things that we really do need to know to support the indigenous community. Like for instance, you know here in Chicago where SWE is headquartered, we have a large indigenous community that I would guess most people don't even realize. So, Absolutely. Uh, yes,
2: because Chicago was one of the relocation cities when the federal government was relocating Native people from the reservations into urban areas. Chicago was one of the was one of those cities. So you do, in fact, have a very diverse <laughs> Native population there because you had people relocated there from tribes you know all over the nation. Yeah. So yes, and that's another thing, right? We have these reservation populations, and we have these urban populations. And certainly there's some, you know, those are, those each have their own unique qualities. So it it is complex to work within, you know, with indigenous populations here.
1: But not impossible. Not
2: impossible by
1: any means. Okay. Excellent. Well, Sarah, before we close out, I just want to see if there's anything we haven't touched on today that you'd like to talk about with our audience.
2: No, I think, you know, again, it's, we, you know, we covered a lot (laughs) and I think, you know, it's Native American Heritage Month, and so uh, I think just what I was touching on there at the end, and, and you as well, is that, you know, we really need um, people to try to understand, and I know, as you said, it is intimidating, but to try to understand our population and to make sure that, again, that you can, you know, be an ally and, and stand up and say, hey, don't forget about Indigenous peoples. And that's really, that's really what what we need at this point. So I think, you know, in closing, as we head into Thanksgiving next week, and of course, there's, there's some myths around that, but is to recognize for us, and I should have done this at the beginning, and I didn't think to do this, but to recognize that you are on indigenous land, you know, that once upon a time, not so long ago, all of this land was ours, right? So it is our homeland. And to think about that, you know, and, and as things have evolved, how we've been kind of forgotten and made to be invisible. So, as again, as we head into Thanksgiving and, you know, all of the mythology around that is to really think about the indigenous peoples of this land, you know, and and how can you continue to raise us up and be an ally for us? And so, absolutely.
1: Well, I'm guessing there are some resources on the ACES website, but maybe are there some other places our listeners can go to learn more?
2: Sure. So, absolutely for ACES and, you know, as you said, and that's particularly in the STEM fields, but... In terms of a, uh, and learning more, I always recommend the reading list that was put together by First Nations Development Institute, and that's just firstnations.org. They actually have a reading list that they keep um, and it's fairly comprehensive and it's available through their resource center on their website. And they even have one for children in terms of, you know, helping people to understand our population. And they have all different, you know, there's uh, fiction and nonfiction. So that would be my recommendation. is a good place to start in terms of uh, reading. But the other thing is to reach out and volunteer. There are a lot of national and small uh, Indigenous nonprofits across the United States and Canada. You know, reach out and volunteer and get involved. Become a member of Aces.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Um, well, Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today and for sharing your insights and helping to educate us. I know I will be going to check out the thefirstnations.org this weekend. And for all of us at sweet. thanks for listening.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Diverse. Remember to head to we21.swe.org to learn more about and register for this year's conference.